I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like, you know, grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to the Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm your co-host, Matt Bernico. And I'm your other co-host, Dean Detloff. Dean, how's your heart? How's it hanging? <laughs> how's it feeling? Um, it's hanging just fine, as far as I can tell. I'm not a doctor, but everything feels like it's pumping the right way. Now, that's confusing, because last week you did say you were a doctor. Well, you know what? That's true. Um, a doctor of a different sort. Um, a doctor <laughs> who would be the last person you'd want to talk to if you started having heart problems. That's what I'll say. If they're having like a, a moral quandary in terms of heart problems, you could probably answer that one, but not like if you have myocarditis or something. Yeah, I mean, I could do my best, but also probably still the last person you'd want to talk to about that one too. <laughs> um, but I would do my best. So you can send those in and I'll, I'll try them out. Apart from that, though, I feel like my heart is... Uh, pretty okay um i don't know if uh people follow the news in toronto very much we lost our mayor this week our extremely bad horrible awful mayor um, r.i.p we'll miss him people do miss him i don't miss him he uh he resigned over a salacious affair um but uh i'm not losing sleep over that that's not troubling my heart um more troubling is that right before going out he did decide that uh they should just close all the warming centers for homeless people in toronto so what a great parting gift and what a bad guy it's such a wild thing that like the mayor can completely like criminalize homelessness and uh send police to harass them and like take apart their camps and like that part's not a big deal but once yeah. he has an affair then it's like i gotta step down yeah i mean you'd think he'd resign over like literal deaths in the streets but i guess not Anyway, um, yep, uh, and of course there's all this balloon drama in the, in the news lately. Lots of things to really get my heart a flutter. Uh, I don't know. What about you, Matt? How's your how's your heart hanging inside of your chest cavity? <laughs> Sullen, depressed, bad. Um, <laughs> I'll talk more about it in a minute. But like, it's been a pretty big bummer. I've been thinking a lot about. Well, there, there's so many things going wrong. I think in in my state in particular. I live in Missouri, in case you don't know, and Missouri is a bad place to live because we've got the worst right wing politicians. I think in the country. I'm going to say that they're really bad. And I've been thinking a lot about how to deal with that. Like, I don't know, s- stress, annoyance, distraughtness, ennui, all of those things put together. <laughs> and you know, the Christian bones in my Christian body are saying, well, you could just pray about it, and that might be a good idea. But it's really hard to do that. I found growing up in like an evangelical church that's drenched in, you know, Christian nationalism and homophobia and all kinds of other really gross stuff. It just makes like the idea of praying in general, like a really hard thing to recover from Mm -hmm. that type of weird background. 
I don't, I don't know. It's just a hard thing to pick up and take very seriously when you've spent your whole life listening to people say things like, Daddy God, we just come before you. And <laughs> oh my God, it's, I'm, I'm dying just saying it. I'm, and, and like as a joke, evangelical prayer, at least in my experience, if you're, if you're having a good time with it, then you just keep going, I guess that's fine. But in my experience, it was a super individualistic expression of God as like a, I don't know, Santa Claus kind of figure mm-hmm. where you get to say some nice things to God, make God feel cool, <laughs> tell him how much you love him, whatever. And then maybe God will do what you ask for. He'll let your team win the big trophy or he'll give you a new car or uh, something. They do need to find at least like some other titles. Daddy God, uh, they've got to expand it. Even like Papa <laughs> Lord or something, you know, they can be in the neighborhood, but they just need to switch it up a bit. OK, write all of them down that you come up with and just uh, we'll we'll put them in an envelope and send them to Mark Driscoll and then we'll we'll get them over there to him. And he can he can try him out and just you know workshop him on the floor of his bad church. I'm sure he he can try him out, but he'll be his ones will be too masculine. They'll be oh like uh, Gladiator <laughs> Zeus um, or some other absurd uh, hyper masculine thing. We need to find like a very run of the mill, middle of the road evangelical sure. like Rick Warren. I feel like we can send the list to him. He can get it out to all the relevant parties, great and we point, can go from point. there. Yeah, that's true. Mark Driscoll's would be really masculine. Uh, dear God, who's scaled the aggro crag of my heart. That's Mark Driscoll's for sure. Um, <laughs> UFC Ultimate Fighting Christ. <laughs> there we go. Now we're talking. All right. These are good. But for me, they're doing nothing. And I think that's a problem still. <laughs> you know, so I have all these weird hangups about praying. And I feel like I'm sure a lot of other people feel the same way. It's hard, right? <laughs> I've been thinking about it a lot more lately, though, mainly because of all of the like seemingly endless bad things that are happening in my state. My state politicians, like I said, are probably the worst. So let me tell you about some of the the greatest worst hits from Missouri this week and, and maybe why I should pray about them. Missouri state representatives have spent a lot of time in the last few weeks proposing new bills against CRT in school, which is annoying and, st- and stupid cultural war stuff. Uh, but the more egregious thing is that they've been hearing testimony and all these bills around trans kids and like banning trans kids from playing sports. There's a new a new law out there that got introduced this week and, and there was some debate about it and uh, people came up to testify about it, about whether or not a school teacher or anyone at, at your child's school could address the topic of gender and sexuality in the classroom. And the uh, the idea behind this law is that they can't. <laughs> that only the only way that they could do that is if they were a trained mental health professional and that they have a like signed consent form from the parents. I mean, it's so stupid because clearly, if you have a teacher and her name is Mrs. Johnson, like too late, you've already figured out some things about her <laughs> about her like her life that maybe uh, might be against the law. Missouri state senators definitely can't figure that part out. So that's all been really awful. There are all kinds of trans kids in our community that this will necessarily hurt, and that is very bad. And I hate it. It's deeply depressing. Um, The other thing that really sucks uh, that I've been thinking a lot about this week that's been, like, uh, definitely breaking me a bit is that uh, the state of Missouri, uh, they carried out their third execution since 2023 started. Um, So they murdered a guy named Leonard Raheem Taylor. He's been in death row for quite a long time. He supposedly had killed um, his like uh, ex-girlfriend and uh, her children. But there was new evidence brought up by his uh, attorney that suggested he wasn't even in the state at the time that happened. And they were like pleading with the uh, state of Missouri, uh, the governor, uh, to give him like a stay of execution so that they could review the new evidence, right? Not necessarily saying that he was innocent, but just to like review the evidence. And they didn't even give him the stay of execution. And then they murdered him like two nights ago. And wow. I don't know, man, it's just a lot to think about. He maintained his innocence the entire time throughout it. And it just like it just breaks me to 
see people be like so awfully callous um, when somebody's asking for mercy. I don't know. It's beyond belief mm-hmm. for me. It's sorry. It's not beyond belief. I believe that it happened, and I think it is pretty much part of the course. But I don't like to think that it happened. It's hard to. It's hard for me to imagine being in a place where I could make that kind of decision. That's uh, it's wild, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So, anyways, all of these things I think are happening in my brain. And I'm trying to figure out how to deal with them, and it's very hard. So, um, I thought that maybe like one way I could get myself more acclimated to the idea of prayer again, and maybe seeing how that how that works in my life. Um, is thinking about some of the best prayers in the Bible, the imprecatory psalms. If you're not a church person, the psalms are like a book from the Old Testament that's basically a collection of songs. These are the greatest worship hits from the day, I guess. Your wow yeah, CDs. Your wow CDs, that's right. Uh, the psalms are linked to the biblical figure David, but um, I don't think anyone really thinks that David wrote them. Authorship's complicated in the Bible. Don't ask me. But anyways, that's the consensus, I think. Who knows? Not me. Not me. That's I'm not a biblical scholar, and I'm never going to be. But the prose within the Psalms are really interesting. They have lots of different genres and tones, and, you know, some of them are cool, and some of them are confusing. <laughs> um, but um, there's a set of Psalms that are, are known as imprecatory Psalms. Um, those are the Psalms that express anger for the people who do wrong in the world. And sometimes they express a lot of anger for God, even for letting people do wrong, which is interesting. Something that like uh, is also hard for my Christian brain to wrap my mind around, but um, maybe I should. Anyways, um, they're usually asking for God to like punish somebody pretty brutally in some interesting ways. So here's a quick a quick Psalm snippet, if in case you need one. If you're not familiar, this is Psalm 58, like a piece of it. Um, Psalm 58 says, "Break the teeth in their mouths, O God, Lord, tear out the fangs of those lions." Let them vanish like water that flows away. When they draw the bow, let their arrows fall short. May they be like a slug that melts away as it moves along. I don't know, man. That's pretty good. I think it's great. What I like about the Psalms is that they're real in a way that, like, evangelical prayer just is not real, right? Um, instead of asking for your, your favorite team to win the Super Bowl or... I don't know if this is if this is one that you ever heard, Dean, but in uh, in my evangelical church, people would be always be asking to uh, to for God to just have a have a hedge of protection around you, you know? Oh yeah, I've got a lot of hedges. Yeah, for sure. I I did do a lot of hedging. <laughs> Praying for God to give you a hedge of protection is one thing, but uh, asking God to make someone like a slug that melts away is like something on a whole different <laughs> level. So I think you can probably see the appeal. I, I mean, I don't know. To me, the uh, <laughs> the superiority here is pretty clear. They are pretty intense. Um, some of the imprecatory psalms are, I don't know, difficult even to read <laughs> and like feel like, oh, it's great that they're in the Bible. And we'll talk about that more as well. But uh, for example, like there's one psalm, the number's escaping me right now, but uh, famously, it's probably the most famous imprecatory psalm, but uh, the psalmist asks God to um, dash the babies of their enemies on the rocks. Uh, pretty intense. Yeah. <laughs> Not a great pro-life verse, um, but uh, yeah, lots of things like that, like really sort of violent um, images. And it's important maybe to contextualize all that too, right? They're written in a context of the ancient world and there is a lot of war and a lot of oppression and a lot of violence and things that are kind of going on. So maybe helpful to think through that the context of the Psalms is always sort of in the background there, but yeah, they are unsettling to read if you are a like modern person living in a liberal bourgeois democracy like me. I think that's right. Yeah. Some of them are hard to read. Absolutely. And that's just a tension that I guess we have to deal with because it's, you know, that particular type of literature and, uh, I don't know. Sorry, deal with it, I guess. 
Um, <laughs> I know I am. The imprecatory psalms, though, I think are interesting because they, I mean, they're often kind of reflecting on a lot of themes that our podcast ends up reflecting on as well, like political injustice or oppression. Um, lots of lots of themes in there about the abuse of uh poor people by people who are rich. And despite their brutality, which is very real, they do give a particular language to express like lots of grief, lots of frustration and lots of rage. And I don't know, to me, that's helpful. (laughs) You know, there's something cathartic about it. We'll talk more about that, I guess, in a little bit. But I think that is at least a helpful way to, um, I don't know, a helpful tool to have in my my emotional support toolbox. (laughs) (laughs) it's great you know to be mad which i feel like i am very much this week uh and to be able to pray one of the imprecatory psalms does make me feel a little different what's neat about the psalms though is that like as literature they have like a particular use right that's like different than other pieces of scripture the bible's full of all kinds of different like narratives and myths and different types of like you know more poetic language but when you read the psalms what's interesting is they're written from the first person perspective so it, it puts you kind of like in the middle of it all. And you have to identify with the author when you read it. You don't really have any other choice. I mean, you can distance yourself. <laughs> but like like if you're reading it, it's, it's from the first person's perspective. So you're just there in the mix already. There's a really interesting history uh, within Christianity and Judaism, too, of, of thinking through praying the Psalms contemporaneously. Like, what would it mean today to pray these same prayers? Um, sometimes it's a little bit too intense. Sometimes it's just intense enough. One of the most interesting ways to me, and I think to this podcast, is the way that Ernesto Cardinal's book uh, of poetry called The Psalms did it. Cardinal takes the imprecatory psalms from scripture and he rewrites them within the context of uh, a pre-revolutionary Nicaragua. The book was published in English in 1981, and it was was published in the Spanish edition was in 1964. So that's um, important to know because in the timeline of the Nicaraguan revolution that's before the revolution it's before cardinal is like even like a marxist so kind of an interesting bit here anyways it it deals with a lot of the themes around um around justice and sort of building a society that is you know more in line i guess with uh with like the uh, the values that uh cardinal saw within christianity personally i think the book gives me a lot of direction i think in how to think about prayer and and specifically with regards to the psalms it gives me some different language right like in the psalms it has we we have like lots of ancient language that we're using to talk about injustice but cardinal is interesting because he does put it within the context of like i don't know global capitalism (laughs) so you get a little bit of a different spin on it that i think is kind of interesting and and maybe does something for us so in this episode we're going to talk through a few of cardinal's interpretations of the psalms and then think through like what developing uh, a revolutionary perspective on prayer like might actually look like or how could we could use any of this stuff but before we do that dean tell us who ernesto cardinal is in case anyone's forgotten (laughs) sure yeah i think sometimes we talk on this podcast like everybody is i don't know they've been listening to the show for five years and i wouldn't blame you if you haven't been um so maybe it is good to pause and just say who he was um ernesto cardinal is from nicaragua he grew up in a bourgeois conservative family he and his brother both became priests um his time as a priest was really fascinating he spent some time in the united states he lived with thomas merton for a while in an abbey um they lived there together he was in kentucky which is bizarre imagining ernesto cardinal in kentucky is so funny to me for some reason yeah um he he was close to other folks like dorothy day and you know the kind of u.s scene and eventually to make a very long story short he returned to nicaragua and set up with others a sort of artists and peasant 
collective on a chain of islands and archipelago called Salentaname. And the political conditions at the time, um, this is mostly in the 70s, were pretty bad. Uh, Nicaragua had been ruled by a, a dynasty, essentially, of a family, the Somoza family. They were very bad, um, not good people, <laughs> all the things that you could guess. Um, and in the 70s, there was an armed struggle slowly developing to try to defeat Somoza. And that struggle would eventually be successful, but not when, not yet, when Cardinal is kind of doing this stuff in Salentaname. So he's gathering this community, and uh, that's one reason that he's sort of famous. There's lots of writing that comes out of that community, including his. And eventually he becomes the Minister of Culture in the Revolutionary Government when the Nicaraguan revolutionaries, or the Sandinistas as they were called, defeated Somoza. Um, lots more to say about it, maybe. But the other thing that you got to know about Cardinal is that he's not just a priest, not just a liberation theologian. He's also a really accomplished poet and somebody who has even a particular style of poetry. So we've done some episodes on his poetry a long time ago. He was sort of a modernist poet, really interested in, um, I don't know, kind of playing around with contemporary language, contemporary forms and poetry. So kind of an avant-garde poet as well, which is very cool and really neat. Uh, maybe the best thing that you could listen to if you want uh, more on that is an interview we did with a guy named Stephen Hennigan about his book Sandino's Nation, which I'm going to read from in a minute. But uh, he does this really fabulous analysis of Cardinal's poetry, and uh, the interview is really cool. He's a good guy. Anyway, uh, this project, the Psalms that we're talking about here, is interesting because, as Matt said, it comes out in 1964. So it's basically like before all the stuff that people know Cardinal for happens, right? It's before the revolution succeeds in the late 70s, early 80s. It's before he's in Salentaname. Um, he's writing it uh, while also doing some seminary studies and things like that. Um, and at the same time, he does have this kind of social justice awakening the early 60s are also an interesting time in Latin America and the church. For example, like the Cuban Revolution succeeds in 1959 and Vatican II uh, is opened up in 1959 and then goes through the 60s. So there's this real, um, I don't know, kind of like shift in both the church and in the region more generally. So uh, that's maybe a, a brief intro to Ernesto Cardinal. Am I leaving anything out, Matt? No, that sounds all good to me. Uh, I thought one thing that we could also do before we sort of dive into talking about Psalms and this book and other things related to the Psalms is just to contextualize some of why that why it matters that the book comes before Cardinal's revolutionary turn or participation. And in that book, I mentioned Sandino's Nation by Stephen Hennigan. He has this really neat passage that I'm just going to read because he says it better than I would say it, being a, a person who knows a thing or two about poetry. So here is how Stephen Hennigan puts it. The Psalms belong to the period prior to the activism of the Colombian priest Camilo Torres, whose death in the ranks of the National Liberation Army began to persuade Cardinal that the revolutionary struggle was a Christian and priestly struggle. So before that happened, the Cardinal who writes Psalms is seeking redress from a world of poverty and cruelty in a just interventionist God. He has not yet taken the next step, which would sanction individual or collective action to reverse injustice in the temporal sphere. One partial consequence of this quietism 
is that Psalms is the only book in Cardinal's career prior to 2011 in which the word Nicaragua does not appear. There are no invocations of national history or the Somoza dictatorship, with the exception of one reference to the National Guard by its initials GN. In light of Cardinal's subsequent development, Psalms may be read as a last-ditch effort to exhort religious authority, or even deity itself, to intervene in the secular world by laying bare in accessible, contemporary language the underlying radicalism of many of the psalms habitually read during Mass. Mm. So, just a really, I think, interesting way to set the stage here, because I think what we'll see is, like, I mean, Hennigan is absolutely right. You, you don't really get a sense of collective action, but maybe that's also partly due to the content of the psalms themselves. You don't really get that in the psalms either. <laughs> so, interesting things there. But what you do get is, I think, uh, positively stated, maybe this real attention to what is radical in the Psalms. And also Cardinal is sort of choosing Psalms to rewrite in contemporary language that say something about a situation of injustice, that say something to a person suffering under dictatorship in Nicaragua. So it's maybe a kind of immature book in many ways, right? It's politically early. It's early in his own poetic development and so on. But nevertheless, and I hope that we'll kind of see this in the episode, the way that Cardinal reads the Psalms really activates a kind of spirit of justice in them that I think is still super fascinating. And it's like you can see the seeds of further action maybe already being planted Mm -hmm. in the book. Yeah, I think that's a great contextual note. The other thing I, I think it's worth mentioning, too. So this is like Cardinal's like, you know, his last ditch effort to believe in a God that is interventionist or something. Um, But what's interesting, though, is that in his other poetry that comes along later, you see how he works that particular tension out. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I do want to. Well, no, I'll leave it for later. Remind me, Dean, (laughs) to come back around to talk about the uh, the poem, um, the mystical letters of the FSLN, because I think that actually is an interesting meditation on that same problem. But yeah, it's my favorite poem, so I will remember. (laughs) <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> what a way to build some uh, some tension, uh, some dramatic tension on the podcast. Remind me to tell you about this thing later. <laughs> Remind me to tell you about this poem from a poet that maybe you've never heard of. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, so cool. That's some some great stuff there. Let's talk more about like we'll get to we'll get to the good poems in a second and about the the psalms. But let's talk about like the ways that we've encountered the psalms in the past, maybe. Maybe that's a good way to get it started, mm-hmm. right? Because Cardinal seems to think that there, you know, there's something there that will um, give us some type of solace, right? That gives us some kind of catharsis or um, it, it, it suggests that God will make things right. But I think what's interesting to me, at least, is in my particular evangelical upbringing, at least, I don't think I really ran into the imprecatory psalms very much. Um, which is which is wild because you know at church, I, I did it all, man. Um, I would I would go to Bible study. I would do Bible quizzing. People were always telling me that if you have questions, you should read the Bible. But never once did anyone kind of bring up the the imprecatory Psalms to me. And I think that's a particularly interesting thing that evangelicals did. Like, there's a type of allergy I think to them because they are like kind of rough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think evangelicals are kind of hard to plot culturally and politically, but um, my own journey in evangelicalism was a bit strange. Um, So I became an evangelical when I was like in my early teens and I was a Catholic. So, of course, I never read the Bible or thought twice about it. And (laughs) I remember uh, 
everybody was like, okay, the first thing you got to do is read the Bible. And being an extremely weird person um, and an extremely weird teen, I did do that a couple of times. And, uh, you know, going from Genesis to Revelation when you're like 14 is a bad idea. I don't think anyone should do that. Sure. Um, But I remember like (laughs) coming upon the imprecatory Psalms and trying to make heads or tails of like what is going on. And I asked our pastor at the time, who was like a pretty good guy. I still think a pretty good guy as far as evangelicals go. And (laughs) he, you know, seemed to kind of dance around it a little bit that, yeah, yeah, those are in the Bible, but you know, you got to put them in context. Our context is just kind of too different. And whatever is going on there is divinely inspired. And at the end of the day, we kind of just have to like throw up our hands and be like, oh, I don't get it. Right. Um, that was kind of the answer that that I got. And I think that's really interesting to me because evangelicals see themselves often as a kind of countercultural movement. They don't maybe use that term, but that's part of the self-understanding, right? That For sure. You're, opposed to the world or you're kind of dropping out of culture. But of course, um, they also metabolize that culture and live in it (laughs) and so on. And uh, there's some sense in which for a lot of evangelicals, not all of them, I think there's counterexamples, but a lot of evangelicals are even kind of too culturally liberal for the Psalms, too bourgeois for the Psalms, right? These things are, they belong to maybe like a more, uh, an illiberal past that that maybe evangelicals don't want to um, own up to, even while they're affirming that, you know, the most important thing is the Bible. So when a 14-year-old is like, hey, I'm reading the Bible, and guess what? It is extremely weird. Um, The answer is just like, yeah, it's weird, and we don't really know what to do with it either. Yeah. No, I think that makes sense, especially, I don't know, given the the context of like Midwestern niceness even, right? That it's just like, yeah, exactly, uh, yeah. this stuff is too, it's too much for us, right? It's, right. um, it, it's such a, I, I mean, the, the contradiction though seems pretty clear, right? Because evangelicalism is so like geared towards the idea of like winning people over and there's, you know, there's room for everybody. Everyone can pray the sinner's prayer and it, it can all be turned around, right? But the imprecatory Psalms are like, no, <laughs> I want something bad to happen mm-hmm. to this person, right? And there's just like not, uh, like you said, um, too culturally liberal. There's, uh, there's, there's no room for that in that particular worldview. There's no tolerance, right? Uh, God wants, <laughs> I want God to turn you into a slug, and that's it. <laughs> that's right. Uh, you know, it's funny. I had never really thought about this till we started thinking through this episode, but it occurred to me that I also had never heard an imprecatory psalm in the context of mass catholic mass and i guess i just never thought twice about it and so i looked it up and apparently that's because they're not in there and speaking of maybe psalms being a little too culturally illiberal um i came upon this very interesting uh document from pope paul the sixth called general instruction on the liturgy of the hours it's from 1974 and it has set the tone for um the liturgy that we use today I mean, lots of other things have changed since then, but this part is still there. Uh, In it, it says this. Three Psalms, 58, 83, and 109, have been omitted from the Psalter cycle because of their curses. In the same way, some verses have been omitted from certain Psalms, as noted at the head of each. The reason for the omission is a certain psychological difficulty, even though the Psalms of imprecation are in fact used as prayer in the New Testament, for example... Uh, in, I don't know, Romans 6.10 or Revelation 6.10. I can't really tell. Uh, it's a bad a bad scan I'm looking at. Uh, <laughs> and in no sense uh, to encourage the use of curses. Uh, a pretty fascinating 
decree, I guess, because uh, that phrase psychological difficulty is not explained, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, I guess the difficulty is that it just doesn't kind of line up with um, maybe the, the church's own sensibilities, which for the better, right? Like maybe in some respects, we, we probably shouldn't like collectively encourage each other to like ask God to dash people's babies on the rocks. Sure. Um, that's probably fine. <laughs> but uh, interesting, nevertheless, to sort of point that out. And I guess what the church is doing here, what Pope Paul VI is doing is noting that tension that the Psalms do kind of have something of like an excess of violence, maybe. And uh, you, you kind of have to, like, keep a lid on that, <laughs> I think, in, in the context of the liturgy. So, you know, there's something um, challenging and radical about the imprecatory psalms. And I wouldn't say that, like, oh, we have to sort of liberate them from being covered over necessarily by yeah. these kind of sensibilities, right? Like, in some ways, th that is, like, a very mature thing to do, um, to to say we don't really need to say these in community. But at the same time, like... They're part of the text, and it is very interesting to sort of see what they do and what can be done with them and so on. Yeah, that's true, right? The idea is, the idea is that not everybody needs to say these in, in the liturgy or whatever. Um, that would be maybe a little bit too much. Though um, in the Anglican Church, interestingly enough, it's kind of got a varied history with like omitting some of these from the liturgy in, in some places, but some places not. Um, and, you know, like you said, maybe there's a good... Uh, there's something good about that too. And I think fair enough though. Um, I did like one of the first times I went to the church that I'm going to now, um, they, they did like, we, we sang together, uh, Psalm 72, which is one of those great imprecatory ones. And, um, I had this moment of, I don't know, man, it felt pretty good. It was an interesting moment, <laughs> yeah. I guess in church. But uh, we like sang the congregation together, sang the words, may he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. And uh, I remember feeling like, hell yeah. All right. <laughs> like, am I am I at a protest rally right now or am I at church? I don't know. <laughs> but this is good. Like, honestly, probably a little bit more explicit than uh, being at, like at a rally or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> something a little bit more radical to saying to, you know, to crush the oppressor than just like, I don't know, telling the boss that they suck or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you said, I, I mean, there are probably uh, good reasons to omit some of these things for like corporate worship. Um, but uh, sometimes... Sometimes just it slaps and you got to just enjoy it. I agree. Totally. Especially when we're talking about Christian the Oppressor. Um, so we can talk through maybe some themes in the Psalms. We can talk about what's going on in them. But why don't we get at least Cardinal's voice in the mix here? Um, so the book uh, Psalms just has a, a bunch of Cardinal's rewrites of the Psalms. And we picked out a few of them that we thought were kind of neat. And for a couple, maybe we'll read both. Like we'll read the psalm as it appears in the Bible and then also Cardinal's um, intervention in the psalm or kind of rewrite of it. And then for others, we'll just read Cardinal because, listen, you get the Bible, you can read it yourself and you can talk to your pastor about all the weird stuff that you find. It's so important that you yourself read the Bible from front to back and then talk to your pastor about it. It works for Dean and it'll work for you. <laughs> well, it did not work for me, but it might work for you. <laughs> all right. It worked for you in a, in a particular way of thinking. Uh, in the long scheme of things, maybe. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, Matt, why don't you get us started? Why don't you pick a, a cardinal psalm and let's read the, the the biblical psalm or maybe maybe part of it and then the, the cardinal psalm. Yeah, we're going to start at the beginning. Let's start with psalm number one. Here we go. 
the pericope is titled The Two Ways. Uh, this is the biblical version, by the way. This is from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible, one of my faves. And it goes like this. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees, planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither, and all they do, they prosper. Great stuff. Pretty straightforward. This one isn't really even imprecatory. This one's just like a psalm. Maybe it's it's made a bit imprecatory by uh, Cardinal. So this is Cardinal's take on this particular psalm. He says this. Blessed the man who says no to the party, who will not join committees and follow the line, who will not sit down with gangsters or generals in council, plotting war to surpass all war. Bless the man who will not report brother or sister, neighbor or friend. Bless the man who coughs at commercials, defies the radio, and knows their slogans for lies. He grows by the river of life. Love it. <laughs> I know. This one's cool. Snaps. The psalm itself, right? It's It's got a lot of words in it. Um, you know, you don't want to take the path that sinners tread and so on. You don't you don't want to sit in the seat of scoffers. But Cardinal takes this whole and this whole thing and kind of like hijacks it and makes it about something a little bit more applicable to the lives of people, I think, in an interesting way, right? And this is about people who say no to the the group think of the parties, um, which you know you can imagine by this time means like you know, the Somoza regime, people who don't uh, negotiate with gangsters or like uh, just jump on the bandwagon with like other people who are plotting out like all out war. It's good. It's good stuff, though. I also I like the stuff, though, about the um, the man who coughs at commercials with the, the idea of rejecting even like the ideology of uh, capitalism and stuff like that. It's fun. Yeah, I agree. It is fun. Um, it's nice to see, I think, the psalm come alive in a different context as well. It's clearly somebody reading the psalms and then also being like, what am I, what am I supposed to do with this <laughs> in an interesting way and putting it to work? Um, we'll read some more psalms as we go, but maybe we can at least start by talking about kind of what's going on um, with Cardinal's reading. So, you know, one thing I was thinking about with the Psalms is there's kind of a temptation to read the Psalms and maybe paint on whatever characters we have in mind as kind of blank canvases. And before we were recording this episode, Matt had reminded me that uh, when Obama was elected, there was a handful of right-wing Christian evangelical types who prayed imprecatory Psalms against Obama. And it's really fascinating to think about that, right? That they're sort of um, doing in a like <laughs> gross way what Cardinal is also doing by seeing in the psalm some kind of language and then trying to like map it on to some contemporary situation. But I think what Cardinal is doing is more interesting for two reasons. The first is that he's not just kind of saying the psalm by rote, like not just repeating it and then like assuming you'll fill in the blank with like, I don't know. Somoza or somebody else um but he's like rewriting it entirely to sort of create a new literary world or like a new context in which the words are sort of more more true maybe for him um and i think also you know it's true that uh authorial intent it's not real the death of the author there's nothing but the text all the postmodernists are right um but at the same time it does feel like cardinal is grasping at something that is sort of more true in the Bible as a theme, right? This dream of justice, this uh, subversion of the the war councils and so on. 
um, than let's say the, the right wingers against Barack Obama or something like that. And I think that testifies too to Cardinal's desire to not only intervene in his time, but also to be trying to like authentically hear something that is, you know, pulsing through the text and not just put the text to work, but like re-say it in a way that makes it true in a more immediate sense, which is, you know, not what an evangelical is doing by sort of just applying it, um, you know, in kind of like a copy paste format onto their social reality. Yeah, that's right. So I think there's two ways of thinking about this. We're talking about like what Cardinal is doing kind of like formally here with poetry um, and kind of like, you know, taking taking the the biblical text and then sort of twisting it in this particular way or hijacking it. And at least one way we could talk about that is with a particular French word called detournement, um, a really poorly pronounced French word by me. Um, but detournement is like a, uh, we've talked about it before in the podcast for sure, but it comes out of this um, radical left tradition of the situationists um, who were, well, we don't have to get into, into the, the depths of it. <laughs> you can use Wikipedia yourself and look them up. But uh, situa- the situationists were like a group of these like weird sort of like artists slash philosophers slash activists who thought that the appearance of capital is like so strong that people don't even really know what the real world is anymore. And to break people out of the brain prison that is capitalism, they would do these things, uh, detournement, or like they'd create situations. They would hijack like a, a usual everyday kind of thing and make it say something revolutionary to them. Um, so, for example, um, famously, Guy Debord, one of the situationist philosophers, like the situationist philosopher, he took like a kung fu movie um, that I think would have been popular at the time, and he put new captions on it so that um, instead of being about kung fu and like whatever, whatever the movie was actually about, it was about dialectics and um, about like Marxism. And the movie was retitled, Can Dialectics Break Bricks? <laughs> Pretty great. <laughs> you know, they do all, all kinds of things, too, where they would, um, uh, you know, like change the words in the caption to a comic or something, right? So the idea is that you would take something uh, that has a particular cultural form that people kind of come to know to expect or something, or they, they know like what it is. And then you hijack it so that it says something different, like and like you said, maybe more true, which which makes me think too. Um, there's a a book that I think we talked about in this podcast a very long time ago, but I can't quite remember, called Faith of the Faithless by Simon Critchley, who uh, I like a lot, and I like the book a lot too. You've read that book, Dean, right? We've talked about this before. I have. Okay, in that book, I, I think other people do this too, but Simon Critchley, um, who is kind of like this interesting, I mean, he's a philosopher for sure, but he does a lot of stuff with literature. Um, and music and cultural studies as well. He has a really great book about David Bowie. That's besides the point. Anyways, but <laughs> in in this book, Faith of the Faithless, he he breaks down this word truth and he kind of compares it with this this word troth uh, or like the 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 back part of the word that comes from betrothal, right? And he, he talks about the ways that truth ha- has you know less to do with like facts that are binarily true or false, but they have more to do with like. The general feeling, like, do they go along with, do they kind of bear witness to, are they, like, engaged with this particular understanding in the world? And I think that, like, evangelicals have taken the Psalms and they've they've made them about Barack Obama or something. 
But like those don't have the same type of troth <laughs> as when as when Ernesto Cardinal does it, right? In this past psalm here, when he's talking about like who who are like the blessed people in, in society or whatever, right? There's a certain like resonance between the way the psalm the psalmist talks about them and the way that he's talking about them, right? The person who who doesn't go the way that sinners tread, the the person that says no to commercials, <laughs> that says that they're not gonna <laughs> rat out their friends or their sisters. There's a there's a different resonance I think between that than than like just sort of like clumsily reading the uh, the psalm to be about the president you don't like or something. Mm-hmm. I think that troth piece is really helpful too, right? Just to get at what is what does it mean to be faithful, maybe to the text. And Cardinal is showing an interesting way, not just by repeating it, but you know, doing something with it. Um, let me read another psalm, and then we'll uh, continue here. So I'll read the psalm itself first because the psalm's not too long. It is Psalm 4, and the English uh, heading is the same as Cardinal's heading, which is Answer Me When I Call. So the psalm originally says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But I know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So that's the psalmist. Uh, Here's Cardinal's interpretation. Answer me when I call God of my innocence. You will free me from the torture chamber, the concentration camp, the dark cell of my agony. How long must we suffer them, bullies and leaders, in all their stupidity? How long must we suffer their empty talk, propaganda, all propaganda? Many ask, who will free us from their bombs, their nuclear submarines, their rocket launchers? Lord, brighter than a thousand bombs, look at us and shine on us. O hearts, sing when you stir them. Oh, sorry. Our hearts sing when you stir them. Your joy is greater than their wine, all the wine at their banquets. I shall sleep when my head touches the pillow. Nightmares will not trouble me. I shall not see as they do, their victims accusing them. I need no tranquilizers, no sleeping pills. You, Lord, are my comforter. You are my strength. Uh, And I think, again, just lots of (laughs) really evocative imagery here. But even down to, I think, the, the line that struck me the most is when Cardinal is kind of updating the metaphors. There's a line in the psalm, the original psalm, where it says, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord, which Cardinal translates as, Lord brighter than a thousand bombs, look at us and shine on us. And right, this is being written in the 60s. It's the middle of the Cold War. There's mutually assured destruction going around. It's a kind of absurd time to be alive. Um, Comparing God as being lighter than a thousand, brighter than a thousand bombs, you know, it's, it's a really... I think um, impressive way of both driving home the point in the original psalm and also doing it with a sense of danger, uh, with a sense of how much God overcomes that danger and 
you know, there's something almost kind of perverse about it, even of kind of describing God as having that that light produced by these violent objects. And there's something really uh, trothful, maybe, <laughs> about <laughs> what Cardinal is doing there. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it helps to maybe pray the psalm in a more authentic way. And maybe like you said, Matt, when you were cheering on for crushing the oppressor at church, um, I feel that way even reading Cardinal saying something like, how long must we suffer bullies and leaders and all their stupidity, right? Yeah. Like our mayor just resigned and uh, I'm just like kind of holding my breath for like what person is going to replace him <laughs> after he got reelected. <laughs> you know, it's just like, uh, yeah, you want to be delivered from even those kind of basic things of having to deal with like people in power that drive you up the wall. So an impressive um, detournement of uh, Psalm 4 here. I think so. Let's get to one more before we kind of like wrap this episode up. And um, we're going to talk about Psalm 5. And this to me is probably the best one. I'm HO. Just like Dean did, I'll, uh, I'll read the biblical psalm and then I'll read Ernesto Cardinal's part. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Give heed to my sighing. Listen to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I plead my case to you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil will not sojourn with you. The boastful will not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down before your holy temple in awe of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouths, their hearts in destruction. Their throats are open graves. They flatter with their tongues. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of their many transgressions, cast them out. For they have rebelled against you. But let those who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, so that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord, and you cover them with favor as a shield. All right, and that one you get a little bit of a, of a hedge of protection, um, and that's great. <laughs> A little bit, maybe a little bit more than that. Um, all right, and this is uh, Ernesto Cardinal's version um, of Psalm 5. Lord, listen to what I'm saying. Hear my cries and my, I can't stand it. You never plot with dictators. Your politics are straight. They don't fool you with slick campaigns. You're not behind them, the con men, the party bosses. Their words are dead. You know there's nothing in them. Their press releases and statements. Their speeches are honeyed with peace. They drip love and kindness, and their stockpile grows the faster. They hold peace conferences. More they could not. They talk of friendship among nations. In secret, they prepare weapons of war and utter destruction. Their wavelengths dance with lies, evil songs in the darkness. Their desks are heavy with plots. Lord, preserve me from their scheming. Their mouths are machine guns, and their tongues deal death. Punish them, Lord. Make them dust of their projects and cheap ideas, of all their memoranda. When the sirens wail the last warning, you will be with me. You will be my refuge, my strength, my deep shelter. You will bless the man who shuns their slogans and campaigns, their handouts and all they say. You will circle him with your armor and shield him with your love. Man, they're both good. Don't get me wrong. They're both good. (laughs) But their mouths are machine guns is extremely good. Um, it is good. I love that. In both cases, I think, you know, they both feel good to pray, right? They're cathartic. They give you that moment of, like, maybe God will do something. <laughs> At the beginning of the episode, when we were giving context about, like, what's going on with these these poems, right? 
this is like the the moment before Cardinal's like radicalization of seeing Camilla Torres and kind of like taking the next step to kind of engage with politics more directly. You know, this is like looking for God to fix something and, and to intervene in a way that like, you know, precludes radical politics or something. Dean, I mentioned to you a minute ago, you got to remind me to tell you about this other poem. <laughs> and now I'm going to do it. This is an idea that Christians on the left definitely have to kind of figure out for themselves. And it's definitely something that Ernesto Cardinal has done through, through his poetry, or at least his poetry are the, um, they're the receipts or something. But, you know, what is God's role in history and how do we know God's doing something or like, is it up to us, right? Is it up to seize the, the reins of history and to kind of get it all done ourselves? And I think that is a tough question, but Ernesto Cardinal, I think, has an answer that is, to me, really interesting. So instead of reading a psalm to close out this one, let's, let's read another poem, uh, both admittedly in this episode, our favorite Ernesto Cardinal poem. <laughs> so this is called The Mystical Vision of the Letters FSLN, which is the, um, the Spanish uh, acronym for the Sandinista Liberation Army. Why don't you read the first half and I'll give you a break midway through. Yeah, sounds great. On top of Modestep Hill, on the outskirts of Managua, a large advertisement in white letters, R-O-L-T-E-R, Rolter, could be seen from many streets in Managua. And the little boy Juan, riding in an automobile, asked me what those big letters meant, Rolter. And I told him it's a brand of shoes, and it was so people would buy those shoes. But when the revolution triumphs, there won't be those advertisements, right? The child said to me. It was a few days before the October offensive, which he didn't know about. Anxious days for me. That afternoon, he played Sandinistas and guardsmen with the other children. But the problem was, they said, nobody wanted to be a guardsman. Many times after the triumph, the large letters made me remember Juan's words, even though they didn't come true. For a year now, from many Managua streets, instead of those letters on the hill, we see others. F-S-L-N. And I many times also recall the child's words with joy. It was a Sunday at noon with an overcast sky, and there are days when one asks for a sign. Very intimate solitudes, like when Teresa of Lisieux upon her deathbed would feel doubts about whether God existed. Then from the car I looked at the large letters on the hill, and from within God spoke to me. Behold what I did for you, for your people that is. Behold those letters, and never doubt me. Have faith, man of so little faith, you jerk. Man, it rules. What I like about this, though, is that it is like the full. It's coming circle with the with the book of with the book of Psalms, right? Mm -hmm. It's a book where Ernesto Cardinal is like looking for God to do something in you know what is the most awful situation, a situation of um, of a dictator, the situation of exploitation of all kinds of other things, right? And he's looking for God to do something, and you could think of that like as a, maybe a, as like a failure, right? Because God doesn't do something directly or it doesn't seem like it, at least. Um, instead, Ernesto Cardinal takes up a type of radical politics. He gets involved, you know, on Solentaname and in the revolution and after the revolution and so on. But this is a, a really great answer to some of those Psalms because the Psalms are always asking like, listen, God, do this thing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> listen to like all of these people who are like crying out to you. Um, and in this one, it's funny because it's switched around at the end specifically, right? Instead of uh, instead of the writer calling out to God, it's God finally answering and saying, like, look, I did this whole thing. The, the whole revolutionary project that you guys pulled off. Yeah, that's 
that's it. That's me answering your prayers. And I think that there's something really, really cool about that because uh, it recognizes that the the work of justice, the work that God does in the world is also the work that we're kind of like co-collaborators in. And there's something mm-hmm. nice about that. The, you know, the the God in the Psalms that you hear about is one that we're, we're always asking to crush the oppressors and, you know, doing all these other things. You know, maybe that work gets done, but it's going to take us to be participants in it. Mm-hmm. I think, too, that's why earlier I mentioned the Psalms book for Cardinal plants the seeds that sort of sprout up later on. I think it might be easy to be like, oh, Cardinal leaves behind this idea of an interventionist God. And maybe like in some sense that's true, but I feel like it would be more maybe um, in keeping with Cardinal spirit to say it's not that he leaves behind an interventionist God, but he comes to understand what God's intervention really means. And you see this seed really sprouting maybe in a, in a poem like this. So maybe it's not so much kind of leaving it behind or it's maybe a, a more childish faith in the Psalms and a more adult faith here in this poem. But on the contrary, that there's this continuity there that um, the Psalm is, uh, you know, Cardinal's sort of gesture toward justice. And by the time he finds himself in a revolutionary situation, uh, he's able to kind of um, reflect back on on that call on God, right? And like you said, Matt, God makes a call on on Cardinal to be faithful, uh, which is a really impressive moment. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe toward the end here, I think Matt, I appreciate that you began the episode with a kind of moment of vulnerability here, talking about how difficult it is to live in a place like Missouri. I mean, Toronto is rough, but it is no Missouri, that's for sure. Um, and, uh, I think, uh, it's, it's important, right? Because what, what Cardinal does is maybe shows that there is something still, still available in the biblical text, in the Psalms, in the Christian tradition of prayer. Um, but we do kind of have to do like an interpretive project to sort of discover it. And, and that is also kind of an act of prayer to try to, you know, to try to do the message, but in a revolutionary way <laughs> to try yeah. to be like, it's not about sort of translating it into, into better consumer language or something like that, but to translate it into the struggle that we're going through. I think there's like a real example that Cardinal shows there. And maybe that's why I'm also resisting Hennigan's kind of stronger reading of it as like a last ditch effort. I, I guess I see it more as kind of a, an opening <laughs> toward a, a different way of, of relating to the tradition. Yeah, I think that all makes sense, Dean, um, what you're saying. I agree with, which is unsurprising, probably for everybody. <laughs> I'm always doing that. All right, well, to close this episode out, I thought it would actually be cool if we we had the the man himself, Ernesto Cardinal, um, reading the text of Psalm 5, but it's in Spanish. And you might not be a Spanish speaker, and that's okay. I'm barely one, just a little bit. I've got a good deal of Lingo Street going, is all I'm trying to say here <laughs> in a very humble way. Um <laughs> But uh, I think that it might be good just to listen to it anyways. Um, what I've learned from Spanish is that you'll learn, you'll, you'll pick up a lot more than you think that you even understand. So uh, here's Ernesto Cardinal reading Psalm 5, and um, I don't know. Take it with you in the world. Escucha mis palabras, oh Señor, oye mis gemidos. Escucha mi protesta, porque no eres tú un Dios amigo de los dictadores ni partidario de su política, ni te influencia la propaganda, ni estás en sociedad con el gangster. No existe sinceridad en sus discursos, 
ni en sus declaraciones de prensa. Hablan de paz en sus discursos, mientras aumentan su producción de guerra. Hablan de paz en las conferencias de paz y en secreto se preparan para la guerra. Sus radios mentirosos rugen toda la noche. Sus escritos están llenos de planes criminales y expedientes siniestros. Pero tú me salvarás de sus planes. Hablan con la boca de las ametralladoras. Sus lenguas relucientes son las bayonetas. Castígalos, oh Dios. Malogra su política. Confunde sus memorándums. Impide sus programas. A la hora de la sirena de alarma, tú estarás conmigo. Tú serás mi refugio el día de la bomba. Al que no cree en la mentira de sus anuncios comerciales, ni en sus campañas publicitarias, ni en sus campañas políticas, tú lo bendices, lo rodeas con tu amor, como con tanque blindado. Bueno, bueno. Thanks for listening to the Magnificast. If you like what you heard, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Magnificast. If you do that uh, at $2 or more, you get access to a great Discord community that we have. Lots of interesting stuff going on. I'm sure we're going to be talking about balloons soon enough. Um, there's already been some balloon discourse, but it's really heating up. So get in while the balloon talk is still up in the air. How's that for a minute? Oh my for? God, no. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's the kind of $2 quality you're going to get in that discord. Um, also, we do this other podcast occasionally called The Lock-In for our Patreon folks. It's a little more casual, a little goofier, and you can get more of that content at the Patreon if you'd like. Our music is by Amaria Armstrong. Our outro is by The Illogical Spoon. And we'll see you next week. I don't want to get up for church in the morning. Church in the morning. Souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation Never get tired, never bored Don't worry, someday There'll be no damn between us and our Lord Jackson, keep your hoods up Keep your hoods up And you stay up late Jackson, keep your hoods up Well, you keep your hoods up and you stay up late. Oh, don't mind a cold night, but we might mind if you leave too soon. So come on now, it's still early. At least I. Will